Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. It's good to see you all. Um, I'll start out with stating the obvious. Some of you already know this about me this week, but uh, because I'm so coordinated, this week I had an accident, and I actually had to go to the ER and get some work done, or at least get checked out by a doctor there, and it turns out that I have a deep contusion on my right rib, and uh, that happened by playing the very extreme, very manly sport of pickleball. And uh, I, was, I was chasing a ball, looking at the ball, not focusing on what was behind me. And I was running full speed and tripped, and a fence post arrested my fall. And so if you see me bend over at some point, it's, uh, I'm, I'm going to be okay. Just let me ride it out and try not to make me laugh. <laughs> no, really, try not to make me laugh. But one of the things that I've learned this week one of the things that I've realized this week is that you don't know how much you use certain stabilizing muscles in your core until you have an injury there. From everything from lifting up something to pouring milk to rolling over in bed to coughing and to sneezing, which is a big no-no if you have a hurt rib, anything and everything seems to hurt. And so there's something about having a rib injury that tells you a lot about your body and how you're actually made up and how you're actually all one system together. Suffering and discomfort tends to show you a little bit more about what's going on in your body and in your life. And spiritually speaking, I think the same can be true, if not even more true to us. That suffering, discomfort, constraint, challenge can all have the same effect on our spiritual lives. Because any kind of suffering and constraint and pain and challenge, spiritually speaking or in our life, can quickly reveal to us the true nature of our spiritual lives. It's really easy to come into church and to praise Jesus and to say, I believe in him and to say, I'm thankful for all that he's done for me when everything's going really well in life and we're not facing any challenges. However, when something comes along in life that's a challenge or a constraint or something that doesn't go exactly like we planned. It can feel sort of like a, a mini spiritual rib injury. And it causes us to start asking questions and to really show what is going on in our hearts and our minds in terms of what we believe and what our life is like walking together with God. And this really has been the theme of 1 Peter, the book that we're walking through together. And today we're in our last session here looking at 1 Peter. We're in chapter 5. And the theme of this book has been Peter writing to people who are living in constraint, who are dealing with challenges, who have, in many ways, spiritual broken ribs. I'm going to just overuse that analogy this whole sermon, by the way, because I feel it. <laughs> he's writing to these churches, and he's encouraging them, not just how they can live and survive in their constraints and in their challenges, but actually how can they thrive how can they live a life that God wants them to live in a way that glorifies him, that blesses others, that achieves the purposes that he has for them, even though it seems like everything in front of them isn't working or is constrained or is challenged. And it's interesting, as we're coming to the end of this book, Peter is an absolute realist. And he writes to them, he doesn't give them cheery euphemisms. He doesn't say, 
He doesn't offer them false hope and say, oh, guess what, guys? Your suffering's going to end tomorrow. Don't worry. You'll be fine. You made it. But quite the opposite. He says, your suffering likely will continue. Your constraint and your challenges will continue. You will encounter more. And when you do, remember this is how you can face them. Not only to live again, but to thrive. And to see God's goodness in every single situation. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, starting here in verse 6. And Peter is giving his final encouragement. And it's sort of like Peter is tying a knot at the end of a surgical suture or thread. I'm just going to stay with the medical analogies. And he's using that knot to both draw together the wounds of the people, but also to point them forward to a time of hope and healing and fullness in their lives. And so what I'd like to do is read together sort of quickly through verses 6 through 9 and get a little technical with the language because there's a lot in there that we can look at and then spend some time dwelling on verses 10 and 11, which are his final exhortation and his final encouragement to the people here that he's writing to, where he points us back to how we can frame our lives, whether we're in good times or in challenging times. So verse 6. It's interesting, remember, these are his final words to a group of people that are suffering, sort of like a general visiting his troops and then leaving them to go into battle. These are his final words. And it's interesting, of all the things he chooses to talk about in his final words, he didn't end with a strategy or say, pray more or give them specific plans for how they should live, but rather he starts to end this whole book by saying, be humble, be humble. One of the major themes of this whole book, verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourselves. In the original language, it could be translated as be humble. And it comes at the end of this section in chapter 5 where Peter is talking about humility. He says, because of all the things that God has done, leaders, leaders in the church, be humble. Don't lord your authority over people. Don't act like you're bigger or better or in some way holier than other people, but lead people and shepherd them with humility. Then he continues down in, I think, verse 3. He says, and then you who are younger, humble yourselves also. Respect the elders. And he's continuing to talk to them about humility and says, clothe yourselves, therefore, in humility. And like he did back in chapter 3, he then says, then all of you, All of you, so leaders do this, younger people do this, then all of you, be humbled, be humbled. So we can see that clear theme jumping out, live with humility. I think that always bears repeating because we don't often exalt humility in our culture and in our natural wiring. We exalt charisma, we exalt courage, we exalt Going for a pickleball and winning the point anyways, even though you injure your rib. We exalt that. I, I exalt it at least. We exalt strength. And of course, all of those things can be good and God uses them. But how often do we exalt humility? God's call to be humble. Peter says, how do you thrive in constraint? How do you, how do you thrive when you're suffering? How do you thrive when there are challenges all around you? He starts off by saying, be humble. Live in humility. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
And in the next verse, verse 7, he sort of builds on this idea of what does it mean to be humble. He says, he tells us how we can be humble. Verse 7, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, there's a connection between these verses because the, in the original language, this phrase, casting your anxieties, would be what a linguist would call a subordinate clause. And all that means is that it's something that depends on what came before it. And so essentially, Peter says, be humble. And then he says, here's how you can be humble, by casting your anxieties on him. Humble, yourself, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, and he will lift you up in due time, casting your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And so what that means for us is that rather than trying to control or force situations or to ensure in every situation that it's our will that gets done or that people have to hear our opinion or listen to us or to make sure that we are right, it means that first and foremost, we start by casting our anxieties on him. Anything that would draw our consciousness into a thousand different directions, we take that and we cast it over to the Lord. And Peter's saying the, he's pointing us to the need to let go of our need to control and to force things. And to just literally take all the anxieties that we have and, and cast them. You can think of throwing them onto Jesus because he cares for you. And it's interesting, one of the definitions for anxiety in the Greek lexicon, the word that he's using here, is your consciousness being broken into a thousand different pieces which I thought is a brilliant way to say what anxiety is. Your mind going in a thousand different directions, all the different details, all the different things that you're trying to control. And Peter says you live in humility by taking those anxieties and casting them on Jesus Christ. Now, we do this fun thing at the end of our services. We're going to stop doing it for Lent. You know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. So this is the last Sunday we're going to do it for several weeks but at the end of our service today, we're going to say these words, all of our sins, we send to the cross of Christ. And if I use my right hand, all of our problems, we send to the cross of Christ. All the devil's works, we send to the cross of Christ. And it's fun. It's good to do. It helps sort of get our mind in the right mindset for leaving here. But really what we're doing is embracing a deep spiritual truth. And that is that we live in humility by sending all of our problems through the cross of Jesus Christ. And as we do that, I hope it's not just this fun thing that we do. I hope it's not just something that we use as going through the motions or a liturgy that we get used to, but we literally, with our hearts, we embrace the calling of Peter here, and we literally send our anxieties to the cross of Christ as we get ready to enter into the week, trusting that he has our best interest and the world in his hands, knowing that we can walk forward humbly not having to control all things in our own abilities. So be humble. Be humble by casting your anxieties on him. Then in verse 8, Peter moves on. And he recognizes that the challenges and sufferings in our lives, these things cause anxiety. And he attributes some of these sufferings to the work of evil. Here's what he says in verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. 
Now, I don't know if you've caught in our baptismal vows that we've done here during uh, services at times or in our confirmation vows that we've done here at times, but there's a time where we ask those being baptized or those being confirmed a series of questions. And one of them always relates to, will you resist or will you renounce the world, the flesh, and the devil? And it's a quick statement, you know, you're going through a service, you just do liturgy line, liturgy line, liturgy line. It can be easy to miss the depth of this statement, but it's actually quite insightful. Because what we're saying when we do that is we're actually acknowledging the complex way in which the three of these things work together. Now, the scriptures tell us about this. The Bible reminds us of this all the time, but it talks about the trouble and the uh, difficulty of the world and the flesh and the devil working together. Our flesh, for instance, when we face challenges or problems, we have the tendency to want to react in anger or to react in pride or, or even react in sin, sinning in our anger or to react in anxiety. This is naturally built into all of us that this is in our flesh. The world, the world, of course, creates the conditions for suffering and challenges and temptations and and here, what Peter is saying is that the devil exploits the two of those together, the world and our flesh, and the devil exploits those together to affect our lives and to literally misshape the lives of God's people. It's like the compound effect of medication that I wanted to take this week. These three things working together, they compound to make the total effect even worse. Now, it's interesting. C.S. Lewis picked up on this truth perhaps directly from this verse when he wrote in his book, The Screwtape Letters, which is this fictional account, this sort of story talking about a senior demon who's training a junior demon on how to affect the lives of people in the world. And there's this quote where he says, the senior demon is writing to the, the junior demon saying, there's nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against the enemy. God wants men to be concerned with what they do, our business as demons is to keep them thinking about what will happen to them. This is exactly what Peter is saying here. He's saying, cast your anxieties on him because the devil and evil will exploit the world and your flesh to make you constantly worry about what will happen to you. And when you're constantly worried about what will happen to you, you live in a state of insecurity. And when you live in a state of insecurity, you're prone to react to do and say things that don't align with the scriptures and don't glorify God. And Peter has simple instruction for us when we come across that. Resist. Resist. So I'll just read the words that we have in our liturgy. Do you renounce Satan and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God? I renounce them. Do you renounce the evil powers of this world that corrupt and destroy God's creatures? I renounce them. Do you renounce all the sinful desires that draw you away from the love of God? I renounce them. The world, the flesh, and the devil. We renounce them and we resist them because they keep us and misshape us from who God wants us to be. And they block us from experiencing the fullness of life that God has for us. This is what Peter says. And all this leads us to our final encouragement that we see in the book, verse 10. And this is where Peter's really tying it all together. He says, And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
Now this phrase here that Peter uses, the God of grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, really is the linchpin of Peter's entire appeal throughout the entire book. It's the one phrase that makes all of his appeals and teachings come together and make sense. Now, if we just quickly review, Peter's calling us to a lifestyle that is counterintuitive to how many of us want to live, that is opposed to our natural wiring in our flesh, that certainly stands against the influence that we receive from the culture around us. He's calling us to things like embrace humility, and when somebody is unjust towards you, respond with grace and resist the, the devil and hold on through suffering and be patient when God does not answer immediately. Peter's calling us to a lifestyle of all these things and they're challenging and they're not easy and quite frankly, they're not super appealing taken alone by themselves. If you just read Peter's instruction, be, be humble, respond in grace to injustice, hold on, resist. It doesn't sound like a fun life that he's calling us to. And so this calling that he gives us only makes sense if we take this last verse, verse 10, if we are absolutely connected to the hope that we have in God and the work of Jesus in our lives. So Peter here is closing the loop. He opened the loop in 1 Peter 1, verse 8, and he's closing the loop here. And the middle of the book is filled with his instruction and his teaching. But he starts and he ends with this one giant big idea. I'll read you so you don't have to flip. Uh, first, I saw some people flipping already. First Peter 1.8 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. So that's where he opens a loop and he ends a loop by we are being called to his eternal glory in Christ. So this is what Peter wraps everything into. This truth that through Jesus Christ, we have access to Jesus and to God in a way that lets us express joy, to rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible. So that we can join with the words of the psalmist when he says, In your presence there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is, what it, this is what makes it all make sense. This truth that through Jesus Christ we can be united with God. And in that we can receive joy inexpressible as we walk through life. If we don't have this, if we don't have this opening and closing of the loop, this focus on being connected to God, if we don't frame our lives in this way, then all of the instruction that the Bible gives us and all the encouragement that the Bible tells us for how we should live is at best going to feel like a chore. And at worst, it's going to feel like living life with a spiritual broken rib. <laughs> you know, one of the jokes I got a lot of mileage out of this week, and I think I'm going to stop because I've gotten enough mileage out of it this week, is that when anybody around me would blow their nose or they would laugh or they would sneeze without tremendous pain, I would say, show off. Because all of those minor basic things that you never think about hurt like crazy to me when I did those things. So I just get a lot of mileage out of that. And it's the same way with our walk with God. If we don't grasp this call of God and knowing him in this way, then all of our spiritual life, 
is going to feel painful to us. So when the Bible says, be generous with your money that you earned, be generous with your money, you're going to go, oh, that just hurts to be generous. Or when the Bible says, be humble, even when somebody is being unfair towards you, be humble, respond with grace, and respond with love. If we don't grasp this love and joy of Jesus Christ in our lives, just this this command of being humble is going to hurt like crazy in our lives. When the Bible says risk some relational comfort with some people in your life by perhaps looking for opportunities to speak more deeply with them on spiritual matters, that's going to feel painful to us if we think about embracing it. Dying and carrying our cross to glorify God is going to feel like pain, only pain, if we don't have this to frame our lives. All of the callings of the scripture will feel like a jab in the ribs if we don't have this joy that Peter talks about. Unless we're able to join Peter and the psalmists and the rest of the scripture and say, better is one day in your courts, Lord, than a thousand elsewhere. It's the linchpin that makes it all make sense. God's generous and gracious calling for us to know him and to find joy in his presence. Now I'll just end with this. One of the examples from the book that many of us are going to be reading together this spring during Lent. There's copies in the back if you want to pick them up. And by the way, I'll just beat this announcement to death. With every book that we recommend at this church, I hope you find things that you like and encourage you. But I also encourage you and want you to find things that maybe you don't agree with in the book and come talk to me about it or talk to somebody about it. None of the books we recommend will have everything 100% right in it other than the scriptures. And so just know that as we do that. But I, I do think you'll find a lot that will encourage you. In one of the sections of this book, this author talks about his experience of visiting the place where a woman named St. Therese lived in France. And it's interesting, she's actually come, become quite influential in many circles for her writing about devotion to God. And she's very well read and she's uh, seen and respected in many circles. And this author got to go visit her. It almost be like myself going to visit this little shack where C.S. Lewis wrote, just to see the space where this person exhibited. And uh, the author went there and he wrote this. He says, one thing that struck me about this visit were these places were much smaller than I ever could have imagined. The smallness of the places where Therese lived made me think of a lot. And he goes on to describe uh, how the small restricted settings of her life, it was a tiny house and the hay field where she harvested hay was actually a little, a little tiny yard, smaller than my front yard. He describes all these different locations. And then he says, the paradox that struck me is that when you read her writings, you never get the impression of a life present in a restricted world, but just the opposite. She lived a life in very wide horizons which are those of God's infinite mercy and her unlimited desire to love him. She always felt like a queen with the whole world at her feet because she can obtain anything from God. Then he would reflect on it and he says, why does her, humanly speaking, so narrow and poor life give the sense of being so ample and spacious? And his conclusion was quite simply because she loved God so intensely and derive joy from his presence. 
This is what Peter is saying here at the end of the book. He's talking to people in suffering and constraint and pain. As he ends all of this instruction, be humble, give yourselves over to the life God has for you. He says, turn your eyes to Jesus. For on that day, he will come and he will lift you up and establish you. And in him, you can find joy everlasting. So my prayer for this church, my prayer for myself during Lent, and really my prayer for this church is that we would know how to love God intensely. Whether we live in a tiny house filled with constraints, whether we go to work and we're faced with challenge after challenge after challenge, where we have family members we really pray about how to deal with, whether we're trying to figure out what we're going to be doing in life or where the next turn is in our lives, whether we should go left or right, whatever our life situation, that we would know how to love God intensely in this way. And that through this loving God intensely, we would know a freedom and a joy and expansiveness of life that would be only found in him. That through that, that would spill out of us into the world. Let that be our journey as we enter into Lent this coming season. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this deep encouragement that we find in the book of 1 Peter. We thank you that you do write to us in all situations in plenty and in need, times that are easy and in times that are challenging. We pray that in all times we would turn to you. As always, knowing that we can find joy in your presence and experiencing joy in your presence are different. So we pray now by your Holy Spirit that you would let us embrace these words of Peter, that we would have joy inexpressible as we walk together with you. That this wouldn't just be a concept, Lord, but a living reality in our hearts. So, Lord, we offer ourselves up to you. We invite you into our lives, and we praise you in your great and holy name.